Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Podcast. This week we've been treated to a behind-the-scenes, closed-doors preview of the latest Samsung TVs for 2021. What's new, how much has changed, and should you think about upgrading your current set? Luckily for us, Pocket editor Chris Hall was at the reveal to find out more and joins us to discuss what's going to be on offer from the company soon. Meanwhile, earlier in the summer, I caught up with Super Pedestrian, a world leader in transportation robotics and human scale mobility. Yep, I bet you don't even know what those words are, but I've been talking to them about last mile transportation. Find out what it's all about. And Chris comes back, yeah, we love him that much, to talk about the Qualcomm smartphone for Snapdragon Insider's phone that he's been using at the moment. It's a first for Qualcomm, but can the company that makes the processors that power most of today's leading flagship phones also make the whole handset and be successful at it well stay tuned to find out but first back to you chris we're going to talk samsung tvs what's what's the goss what's exciting well samsung has taken the opportunity to show off some of its tvs that we don't normally get to see um for those who don't know samsung has normal tvs the sort of thing you'd put in your living room in a standard house mm. you know the, the things that we've seen lots of times before the the Neo QLEDs and some of those QLED sets from before. But they also have another range of TVs that they call lifestyle. You might think that all TVs are lifestyle because, you know, watching TV is your life. But you can pick out these lifestyle TVs by the names that they've got. So they they include the Terrace, the Cero, the Serif, and the Frame. That all sounds like just a group of fonts. Well... Yes, it does. But this, this is all designed to make these TVs stand out a little bit and let you know that there's actually something a little bit different about them because these are TVs that are not designed for to be the ultimate in performance in your home cinema setup. They're designed to deliver for a particular type of user in a particular situation. Okay. And out of these selections, the one that people will have probably remember is the Cero because this one appeared in 2020 and has the rotating display. So this is very much playing towards an audience who want to watch vertical video as well as horizontal TV, shall we say. And the interesting thing about this is when I first saw it, I thought, well, when I first heard about it, I thought, who was going to want that? Why would anybody want that in their house at all? And then as I stood there looking at it, rotating it, watched some of the content on it, I started to believe in the idea of the Cero much more than I ever expected I would. I know this is okay. a bad thing. Yes. You know, this is a, this What's is a, on here? <laughs> this is a TV that you can actually put on wheels on its stand, so you can move it around a little bit to get it exactly where you want it to be. It's definitely quirky, and it's definitely very different. And the the thing that really shouts out at me about this is that living in a house with teenage kids vertical video is taking over so much of the video that they consume is now vertical rather than horizontal so they're not they're not always sitting down to watch 16 by 9 movies or 21 by 9 movies they're watching a lot of tiktok and instagram reels and all of that kind of stuff the question i have is how long does it take to go from the landscape when you're watching your latest movie or you know show on netflix or whatever to to the to the vertical because you watch TikTok movies, you know, TikTok things, you watch, you know, quite a lot of vertical content in your day-to-day life, but you don't just, you don't sit there and watch it for hours. You just kind of see one and then move on. Yeah. Well, it takes, I I should have timed it. 
I didn't time it. It doesn't take a long time, but it's not. It doesn't move so quickly that it's going to whack you around the side of the face as it's spinning round. <laughs> it's it's sedate enough um, f- for you to not be left wondering what what's going on. I mean, and I suspect that most people will have it, and they'll be in vertical, they'll be doing a load of stuff, and then they'll say, "Oh, should we watch the latest Marvel movie?" And then say, "Yeah, let's do that." Rotate the screen and off it goes. I mean, I mean, the TV knows the type of content that you're watching in some situations. So, because it includes full smartphone mirroring, mirroring both from Android and from Apple devices, if you are scrolling through YouTube, for example, you can do all of that vertically. But then, if you say, oh, "I want to watch this," oh, actually, I want to watch this because it's been filmed horizontally and rotate your phone, then the TV can rotate to match that. So it kind of knows what you're doing. Oh, that's clever. But the but the interesting thing really is that this is a it's a sort of design piece as well because you you don't mount it on the wall you can't mount it on the wall it comes on a stand as I said you can get wheels for it the idea being that you could have it to the side of a room and then pull it out for TV moments and push it back and make it sort of part of the furniture you could have it just showing sort of there's an ambient plus mode on it so it'll just sort of go into a sort of screensaver mode so it, it it's slightly less like a conventional TV it's not just a big rectangle big black rectangle that's going to be sitting on your wall like so many tvs right and so that was the one that caught your eye what what about for us normal people that don't necessarily want vertical yet well there are a lot of other options for those who want something a little bit different um the frame we've seen before this was first launched in 2017 and this is the tv that is designed to look like a picture that you've hung on the wall it has interchangeable frames. You can literally just pull off the frame so you can change the color to suit your decor. You know, you might want something that looks metal. You might want a traditional um, wooden look. It could be whatever you like. And you can just take them off and you can change them around. It's thin. It sits flush to the wall. It has one tiny, almost invisible cable going into it. So you can mount it almost completely seamlessly. Um and there are so many different sizes of it because it starts all the way down at 32 inches and goes all the way up to 60, 75 inches with a price range going from £500 up to £2,500. And so, you know, that that's an option for someone who, who doesn't want, again, doesn't want that orange, not orange, black rectangle hanging on the wall and perhaps wants to change <laughs> it into an orange rectangle or a piece of artwork or your own photo frame or whatever you want it to be. And so does it come with kind of, you know, we've started to see other devices and and digital sort of picture frames, you know, trying to be something when it's not, when it's not a TV, does it come with the supporting sort of apps and pictures and stuff like that? Or is it very much about you just uploading your own pictures? No, there's, there's a, they're working with a whole load of different providers for content. So you can go in and you can actually subscribe to artwork if that's what you want to do, because, you know, having the extra service to sell you is what the world is all about these days. But there are lots mm. of free images that you can get as well. So you can just download the images that you like and, and have them showcasing either static. And they've actually slightly changed the way that the illumination works on this TV so that they have a different um, set of illuminators that they use when it's not being used as a TV. So it looks slightly deeper. There's more depth to it when it's just showing a static image rather than it being sort of like super vibrant painting on your wall which would be completely unnatural right. so yeah it, it's um it, it's it's obviously popular because there are so many different versions of it and it has been going for a number of years now so yeah if you don't want something that looks like a tv 
but you don't want it on wheels and swiveling, then the frame might be the one for you. Maybe perfect for a bedroom or a, or a, or a guest room or something, you know, the, the, the kitchen where you don't necessarily want that big rectangle on your on your wall. Yeah. Right. So the final question for you on, on the news front is when are they coming out? Are they all out now? Is this something yeah. you can go just walk down to your local shop? Yeah. I mean, these... Um, these TVs were or the latest versions, obviously announced at the beginning of the year, and are available to buy right now um, in a full range of sizes and a full range of different locations. So, if you want the outdoor version, which is called the Terrace, that's now available. Um, it's pretty expensive, but if you can afford to think about having an outdoor TV, you can probably afford to pay for it. But yeah, they're all available now. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the new Qualcomm smartphone for Snapdragon Insiders. But first, we've partnered with Philips Fidelio on why you should get the company's latest L3 headphones. Pocalint's Cam Bunton is here to tell us his three favourite things about the new product. So Cam, what's your number one choice? So the number one, the first thing that stood out to me is the design and the comfort of the headphones. So they've They've just used a really nice selection of materials and that makes them really comfortable to wear. So things like the leather that's wrapped around the headband is is made by a company in Scotland who's been doing this since the 19th century. So you have this sort of really meticulous approach to the finish and that makes it really nice to look at and also really soft because there's also a really nice sort of memory foam on the underside so you can wear it for long periods of time without them ever getting uncomfortable and this same memory foam is wrapped around the cushions around your ears as well so they're just a really really nice comfortable pair of headphones to wear and I've listened to them like literally all day on a work day and they didn't get uncomfortable at all and they also have this lovely sort of matte finished aluminium frames with matte black ear cups so it just you know, when you look at them and you pick them up they just look like a quality pair of headphones so number two so number two, of course, with any good headphones, you've got to have good sound quality. And the, the Fidelio has that. And that's because Philips has actually designed its own bespoke 40 millimeter drivers that are inside these and given space around them. So you get a really, really nice balance of sounds. So you get good bass, good trebles, good clarity. Everything just sounds good. So you get lots of bass without it being overpowering, for instance, which some kind of, sometimes can be an, an issue with headphones. You also get high-res certification, so those of you who want like really high-quality, high-bitrate audio, you get that as well. And if you had to pick a third? If I had to pick a third, it's battery life, because I can put these headphones on and listen to them all day, and they offer up to 32 hours before they need plugging in for a refill, and that's with the active noise cancelling switched on. So if you don't use the active noise cancelling, you get even more battery life. They, they just last ages. Spun out of MIT in 2013, Super Pedestrian is a robotics company that holds numerous patents in AI and electrified technologies. It makes what it claims is the smartest and safest e-scooter in the world. The scooters, which are currently operating in over 30 cities globally, including Rome, Madrid, Vienna and Seattle, have a whopping 73 sensors each and they can detect everything from hazards in real time to actively protecting the device against failures. I caught up with Haya Foyerward, Super Pedestrian's VP of EMEA, to find out more. And I started by asking her why a robotics company was making scooters in the first place. Uh, no, that's a great question. I think that scooters over the past you know, couple of years have become a really 
popular mode of transport that has actually transformed cities, I have to say, because it's a really different approach to how we think about mobility. Um, it, it's, a, it's a vehicle that, that came and, and came with a lot of popularity. A lot of people loved it, but also created a lot of debate and had a lot of, um, let's say, controversial, you know, controversial thoughts about it. And so around two and a half years ago, when scooters arrived, we thought about this this new mobility has a lot of potential, but there are issues that need to be addressed in order for it to actually meet its full potential. So we wanted to work on on creating, designing a vehicle that actually finds solutions to a lot of the problems that other operators have faced, and namely safety and street clutter, which I think are two of the biggest you know concerns when it comes to scooters. Uh, so we've designed a you know a vehicle from from the um, with the same technology that was used in in uh, some of our earlier products like Copenhagen wheel um, with uh, we say it's like the safest scooter out there because it really is it has a safety system that is you know unprecedented basically does around thousand health checks every every second has self-sensing self-healing and make sure that uh, riders are you know getting to where they need to be but also without being disruptive so it has uh, it's a scooter with a brain basically to summarize it um, and uh, yeah, that that design and R and D took took more than two years. Uh, a total of seventy five millions between the VIS, the vehicle intelligence system, t- the technology, and between the scooter itself, uh, with the aim of really giving that best in class uh, rider experience, but also best in class pedestrian protection. And um, yeah, that's why scooters, because I think it's, uh, scooters are incredible, but they, they should be safe. They're not a toy. And, and uh, so I, if you uh, hopefully one day try our vehicle, you'll see it's really a whole different experience. I think it's a very smooth experience. It's really designed around rider safety, but also around pedestrian safety. Okay. So we talk about safety here. Um, how, obviously, most people believe that you just get on a scooter, you turn the accelerator and whoosh, you're off and on your, on your, on your way. How, how are you implementing safety measures then to protect or help that, that rider? Yeah, so there are a few elements in it. The first one is really vehicle safety. Vehicle safety means is that when I'm going to go and rent a scooter, uh, is that scooter actually safe to ride? Is that scooter working properly? It is in the shared space. You don't know who's the last person who used it, if there has been any issues. So the system that we have is embedded in the scooter. Think of it as a mini mechanic. Uh, that's doing thousands of checks every second. And before every ride, it's doing all those checks in nanoseconds. And it's making sure that everything is performing, you know, how, how it should be. And if any of those elements aren't performing to the way that they should be, then it actually takes it off. Um, let's say, you know, it, it doesn't become available anymore and it issues a ticket to our maintenance team so that they can come and pick it up. And we call that, you know, autonomous maintenance or self-protection. Right. Um, so that's the first thing, right? It's like the, the scooter itself, the whole embedded system in it, which can get very technical, but it's it's very interesting. The other thing is really the design of the scooter. We we have a much longer uh, and wider scooter, which means the much more stable experience of, for, for riders. If you've been on a scooter before, you might have seen that you have to put your two legs, uh, you know, your two feet are not really fully on, on the platform, yeah. which can be a little bit dangerous because you don't have full control. And in our case, you really, regardless of the size, it's designed for all sizes. You have that full-on, you know, very kind of stable experience. It's also designed for all weights. So I've heard... Do you, do you find that by making it larger, though, that that encourages people to kind of double ride? You know, you see a lot of... You go to European cities, you see a lot of people jumping on, you know, just jump on the back, it'd be fine. And if it's a bigger scooter, does that does that encourage that? 
No, I, I actually don't think so. I mean, I completely, you know, hear hear your 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 point of view. I do see them double riding on all scooters, <laughs> and so sometimes, right? You know, if, if people want to double ride or go against like the rules, uh, they they would regardless. That improvement in the in the longer board actually means a much more stable experience for you know a, a single rider. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's more comfortable in our on our scooter for double riders. Uh, I, I think it's actually the other way around. It's not that that it's not as comfortable as some of the other scooters for double riding. Uh, I've heard that from several people. Sure. Um, I was going to say an anecdote from last week in in Lisbon. We had some uh, really nice feedback from from one of the riders who was um, uh, who was not able to actually use some of the other vehicles because uh, it was more on the on the let's say. Um, because of of of, of uh, I don't know he was a rugby player or something and he was like I loved it this is the first time I can actually use scooters so we find it very important to be inclusive this is a vehicle that is for every, everyone right all weights so even if if you're like a lower on the lower end or the higher end we really want to accommodate all experiences for us it's really all about safety I think double riding is also a topic I can comment a bit more later because I think there is a lot of technological solutions and and also education solutions to stop that um, and the other thing is really we have three brakes which means that we can stop safely in all in all in all conditions so so that is all around the vehicle safety which I can talk a lot a lot but just moving on then there is really the pedestrian safety which is the yeah and I was going to say that's I mean a lot of people believe that e-scooters are kind of like a scourge on the city where they're just, you know, certainly at the beginning, they were just dumped in, you know, outside people's houses and, and, and things like that. How can, how can you help change that perception? So I think that it really all starts with like, I think it starts with the technology, the ability of really defining together with the authorities, where do scooters circulate in a city and making sure that the areas where they're not supposed to circulate, they are not actually even technologically able to circulate. So we, we use a technology called onboard mapping uh, which um, you know with, with GPS, I'm, I'm sure you've, you you know it's not very accurate, and we have a way to go around that by not having to connect to the cloud, and that allows us to have a much more accurate geofencing in the city, which means that we you know scooters are shouldn't be on the pedestrian uh, areas basically in in simple terms, and thus we geofence most of the pedestrian areas in the city to make sure that actually scooters cannot be there, and that is a very very important element. And so for for those that aren't aware of that, so effectively, if I'm driving one of your scooters and I'm heading into a pedestrian area, it will just suddenly stop. It won't allow me to travel that route, or no, it would come to a safe stop if you're going to one of the let's say pedestrian areas that we've identified as main risk areas. It doesn't mean every single. A sidewalk but it means the main pedestrian areas in the city so like a piazza or something can, yeah um... like a piazza or like a you know exactly so it would come to a safe stop and it would tell you uh yeah basically it would you would see a red light that like you're going somewhere where you're not supposed to and it would not move anymore so it would just immediately come to a safe stop that, I mean, that's, you know, certainly a, a technology that would appeal to, to certainly many in, in sort of big major cities, you know, like London with Trafalgar Square or, or sort of some Marco, you know, Polo Square in, in Marco Polo Square in, in Venice or things like, you know, things like that. I'm just, I'm wondering, do you think that it's technology advancements like that and, and other things that have suddenly made the e-scooter more popular? I mean, scooters have been around for a long time. And so I'm just curious and interested to see why you think now over the last two years you know three years they've suddenly become the you know the everywhere hit that they are 
I think it's a few things. I think people are really eager to use more, uh, you know, more modes of transport that are more tailored for like the, you know, singular journey. A lot of people are just traveling by themselves. You see, you know, you're taking a car by yourself. You're occupying a lot of space. There's not a lot of parking space. So I think there's that whole shift of like people want to be on bikes. They want to be on uh, on scooters. And and the whole shared mobility sort of uh, you know disruption I think is is uh, yeah a lot of people are really encouraged to to take those uh, those vehicles. It is really makes your commute a more enjoyable journey as well. So if you can do it in a safe way, in a smart way, in a sustainable way, and also you know in in an enjoyable way, that is really great. Um, so I think that's why they became popular. I think the technology that we're talking about, like sidewalk, you know, sidewalk riding prevention or best-in-class kind of pedestrian protection, is really key in order to make sure that the shared e-scooters are, you know, and, and shared bikes, etc., are gonna stay for the longer term, but also meet their full potential. Because unless those problems are solved in every city at scale, um, we will you know stay with like yeah a few hundred scooters in the city center and that is not the full potential i think there's a full potential there's a much bigger potential for scooters to replace cars to replace a lot of the you know a lot of the city trips which are you know less than less than five miles so i think that you know for that to happen that's why we really believe that investing in technology today and finding ways that scooters can integrate into the into the public right of way in a very kind of friendly way and, and not angering anyone and, and, and making sure we leverage technology, but also education, because I think education is another aspect of it that is very important. So for us, uh, you know, as Super Pedestrian, we've we've invested already a lot in, in rider education. We have several partnerships across Europe and even we have one in the UK as well. Because we really believe that, you know, investing in education and making sure that people understand what are the rules of the road, how do you ride a scooter, you know, you still need to respect the rules. Sure, sure. We, you know, technology can do so much, but there are always limitations. And it's really important that riders also uh, are, you know, we, that we invest in that in that, in that that uh, rider safety and pedestrian safety because it's a new mode of uh, transport. So I'm sure, you know, it's, it takes time for people to adapt, for people to learn. Sure learn to coexist together and i think the more you're seeing different modes of transport coming together we're seeing mopeds we're seeing scooters bikes you mentioned you mentioned bikes there and i know you've you've dabbled with electric bikes before with the copenhagen wheel do you do you see this technology being able to be transposed from one you know from scooters over to e-bikes for example exactly because the vehicle intelligence system is actually was in our copenhagen wheel a big part of it and we see this as something that is not just for scooters but also it can be in bikes it can be in cars and mopeds and uh, yeah we see scooter as a very interesting uh, way to prove the use case and mm. to expand in this very popular you know mode of mode of transport but it, you know it goes beyond just scooters i think it's you you'll be hopefully seeing this technology in many other similar vehicles sure and the final question i have is is what's next What's next for us? So mm. uh, the the focus for us this year, as I mentioned, we're operating now around charity scooters program around 40, 40 cities. We're actually expanding to another uh, two or three cities every week. Hopefully we'll be hitting more like uh, by the end of the summer, 50 cities, 60 cities. And next year, hopefully another 100. So the focus for us is really expansion of our shared e-scooter services. Uh, we're also looking into other I can't, can't share so much, but we're looking into other um, transport modes. Um, our focus is really to to invest in technology, keep investing in R and D, keep try, keep working on solving issues. Like you just mentioned, double riding that is an issue that we're currently working on. Seeing is there actually a technological solution to prevent that? We need to continue to find solutions to any 
you know, sidewalk riding, street clutter, double riding, sure. uh, underage riding, etc. So that's really the focus uh, for us and continuing to really invest heavily in R&D. We still have a lot to come and a lot of surprises, both on the hardware front and on the software front. Um, and we're expecting to be, be be able to see those technologies in in different um, yeah in different forms in different uh, um, in different vehicles hopefully by end of next year. The smartphone for Snapdragon Insiders sees Qualcomm working with ASUS to present a phone as part of a bundle designed for those who love all things Snapdragon. That might sound like something of an abstraction, a little like Intel making a laptop for its fans. But what it does give is Qualcomm the chance to push a device of its own. With over a million fans in the Snapdragon Insiders community, it's understandable that this phone is probably aimed at them rather than everyone. Chris has been giving this new phone a tryout to find out more and is back with us to tell us. How's it been going, Chris? It's well, I think the biggest barrier to get over is the mouthful of saying smartphone for Snapdragon insiders every time you refer to the the phone. I'm sure lots of people <laughs> yeah. would just call it the Snapdragon phone or or the Qualcomm phone. It's a it's a really strange proposition really because normally they they make all the hardware that goes into so many so many devices, not just Android phones, but into laptops and all, you know, all everything. Qualcomm is everywhere. Mm. But this is now they're trying to to create a device to sell to their fans, but they've really spec this phone up to be right at the sort of like flagship level. And you can kind of see that they want to appeal to everybody. They're kind of, you know, they want to compete with, they want to compete with Samsung and others at the top, at the top of the game. So it's not really surprising to find that you have Qualcomm's Snapdragon 888 in there, which is powering most of the flagship devices that we've seen in 2021. It has a huge, um, huge 6.7 inch display which supports up to 144 hertz for ultra smooth scrolling and gaming and the rest of it stereo speakers triple camera you name it most of it is packed in there one of the things that you'll immediately recognize though is the glowing logo on the back because there is a snapdragon fireball on the back of the phone which can illuminate when you turn the phone on which just makes it look a little bit different but overall this phone looks like some of the ASUS devices that have come before it. And Qualcomm partnered with ASUS. ASUS have a lot of experience working on their own devices and devices for other people. So this is very close to the ROG Phone 5, which is ASUS's Republica Gamers gaming phone. And that once you realize that part of it, you can understand why it has the power and the speakers and the high refresh rate on the display and all that other stuff, because really they've just taken some of those parts and and recreated this device. It's it is interesting. I mean, it works very well as a flagship device. You know, the display is very very good quality, and I've absolutely loved that. And the the there's there's no shortage of power, so everything is is swift and fast. But one of the things that Qualcomm hasn't done is put in place some of the restrictions or limitations that you get in other devices. So you can right. quite literally turn off a lot of the management and just let it go full blast, full power with everything, with no throttling. And it will do that until there is absolutely no power left at all. And then it will just switch off. But the strange thing about it is it also doesn't quite feel ready. You mentioned in the introductions that this is part of a, a bundle and you get an impressive box, including some very expensive headphones. These are £300, $300 
um, wow. Martian dynamic headphones that are very good on their own, but are being configured to work with something called Snapdragon Sound, which supports 24-bit, 96 kilohertz audio over wireless, um, designed to let you hear a lot more and get more quality out of your streaming music. Unfortunately, the headphones that I was provided for my review were pre-production and so don't support this feature. So I couldn't well. test that feature on the phone. <laughs> so so that's a little bit of an oddity. And obviously, you know, you can't comment on something when you, when you can't uh, yeah. when you can't actually experience it. Is this very much kind of where the Pixel used to be? The kind of the Google developer's phone. Is this now, do you think Snapdragon sees themselves as, as the pixels become more consumer focused? This is now trying to say, look, if you're a developer, this is like the best you can get from an Android experience without without all the extra sort of consumer fluff. There might be a hint of that going on. I suspect that that's what they were aiming for. Although even when the first pixel came out or, or going, going back, you know, the, the, the Nexus phone was certainly a phone for developers and had price on its side. But with this Qualcomm phone, because of the bundle and those £300 headphones that you get in the box and the 65-watt charger and the braided cables, it costs a lot more than most other phones. So you would pay, uh, You could, I think you can get a Samsung Galaxy S21 Ultra for less money than, than this phone. Wow. And that's going to be, for nice. a fan, they're immediately going to say, wow, that's that's too much. If you already have a set of decent headphones, which a lot of people do, then you don't need another set of three hundred pound headphones, and that's a that's a real barrier. Um, so, so yeah, it's in, it's interesting. It, it kind of feels a little bit geeky and a little bit developy, developery, if that's even a word. Um, <clears throat> I've I, I enjoyed it, but there are obvious areas where the software could be improved. I mean, the low light camera performance isn't great. The the front-facing camera isn't great, and and those things can be improved. Yeah, there there are definitely some quirks and problems that still need to be ironed out. And what do you think? What do you think the end game here is for for Qualcomm? I think that having created the Snapdragon Insiders community and having you know quite a strong following of loyal fans, they thought, well, we can make a device especially for these people and make it slightly uh, exclusive by putting this package together, but. I, th- I really think that they need to iron out those software things to make that appealing to them. I have a feeling that it might be a one-off. Um, obviously, Qualcomm makes all sorts of reference devices all the time to demonstrate mm. its new hardware, but this is very different. This isn't for phone builders. This is definitely for fans to go out and buy. And I think you really have to be interested in the whole of the package because the software will sort itself out. This will be a better phone in a month's time than it is today. I've no doubt about that. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip.